five to seven, aren't they? Sweet. Thanks, Lise. One Peter five seven. Cast your cares or anxiety. In translation, say on him because he cares for you. We'll just talk a bit about that tonight. I've been talking about Ephesians the last couple of weeks, and we'll continue to do that for the rest of the year. Uh, this week, I've had the privilege of being back studying for the week, and had a bit of a intensive and college type thing for the week, and. Uh, then we had Jules' conference over the last couple of days, which was just a phenomenal time. But because of that, I got to the second verse of Ephesians 1 and went, I can't give that enough attention of what it deserves. And so I've just been praying over the last, last few days about what God wants to say. And I, I just really have had this verse on my heart and, and impression on me. So I just want to touch on that break from the schedule of Ephesians, and we'll get back to that over the next little while, but also we'll give more time just to really praying into the house and into our church. And one of the things that we'll probably start talking about a bit more in the next couple of weeks is next term, to start next term, we're going to do a week of fasting as a church and, and prayer as well. So that's why we're doing dinners in September to feed you up so that once we get to October, we're not going to eat. And uh, just, just, yeah, we've just got to build that winter, winter stuff up and then then get it all off. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter wrote this um, near the end of his first letter. And the really thing, it's quite a profound statement. Cast all your care on him, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now to make a statement like that, you've actually really got to know what you're talking about or got to know the person you're talking about because that's a big trust statement. That's a whole massive trust statement. Give him every anxiety and every worry and care because he cares. Like that, that, that involves some intimate knowledge going on there. I've um, had a few different motor issues over the course of different things. A few years back, um, someone decided that our bus was a great... It, it just sat there for too long. So they decided our bus should go for a joyride. And so they borrowed it for 24 hours and, and went driving around and, and did laps. And I have no idea where it went, but the bus was very excited to get out for a day and um, left at 3 a.m. one morning and then 3 a.m. the next morning, it was back again. It was really amazing. But one other time, somebody decided that the bus was a good thing to, to hop in. must have been a warm place. might have been a cold night one night. And someone decided one of our buses was really good to get in. And, and they were really kind when they did that because I don't know if your vehicles might have this, but you've got a steering wheel. And then behind the steering wheel, you've got these couple of levers there. And it's not like a motorcycle that you turn them. But they, they do useful things. Like one of them makes the windscreen wipers go like this. And the other one makes the yellow and or the amber lights flash which apparently is really important for turning corners because if you don't do that and, and certain people see you, they might pull you over and give you a little ticket for not, not having that. And so whoever hopped in our bus this night decided that they didn't have them in their car, mustn't have had them, so they decided ours were an important thing to take. And so they snapped them off both sides and we hop in the bus and, and find that it had been gone through a little bit and everything was sort of open and our sheets of paper and refidexes were everywhere and the extinguisher had been taken off and they tried to break in around the corner and knock off a handle. They didn't get into the place, but they'd let off the extinguisher outside and that was a bit of a mess to, 
um, clean up. But the annoying thing is, is every six months, we've got to take the buses through transport. And you, you need these two things to actually be roadworthy. And so we had to get these, these levers sorted out. The problem is, there's not that many Nissan civilians around, not many people that really understand Nissan civilians around. And so we talked to a few different places about who might be able to help us out with a new instrument column on there, and eventually went to this company, um, who you would think, because they manufacture the buses, they would be able to provide you with the right bits. And so we went there, and we talked to them for a bit, and then finally they looked up, and this is the part you need, so we placed an order, they send off for the part, the only problem is it's not in Australia, so it's got to come from Japan to Melbourne, and then back here, and so this took the process of a couple of weeks, and then we get this part, and go to put it in, and it's totally wrong. Didn't fit, wasn't for the right vehicle, was just... So as you do, when you get a wrong part from someone who says this is the right part for your vehicle or this is what you need, you go the next day and go, here you go. And they go, sorry, we don't accept refunds. But you told me this is the right part, but it's electrical and we don't do refunds. But it hasn't been used. Oh, we don't do refunds. So what am I going to do with it now? Now you're telling me that a non-for-profit organisation has paid you X amount of dollars for this thing, which you guaranteed... I know, because we'll just have it and it'll sit on the shelf. What am I meant to do with it? No one wants it because it doesn't exist. And I don't even know what vehicle it fits. Can't sell it on eBay. So we had this instrument column, which pretty much ended up getting chucked in the bin because it was useless to us. But here's someone, I cannot write this verse about this company. I will never buy a vehicle from this company, ever. Because this is the service that they give me. There is no way... I can say that they care for me or that I can pass anxiety on me. A couple of weeks ago, I um, was driving up the highway and overtaking a slow bus in the Prado and all of a sudden, bang! And um, a few people have asked me, how's your car going? It's sitting outside on a couple of wheel stands at the moment. Uh, just sitting out there. We, so we've got the engine all sorted, got a new engine in and then the gearbox started leaking. And I went, oh, that's really sad. And so um, there's a guy who's serviced a couple of gearboxes who a few friends have recommended. I've used him to service my gearboxes in the past. And so I, I go for a wander and go, this is what's happened to my gearbox, start talking to him. He takes about 15 minutes out of his time and explains to me what might be going on and, and um, offers some assistance. We pull it out. I pull off a torque converter at the front of the gearbox. You ladies understand what I'm talking about there. The big fat round bit that plugs between the engine and the gearbox there. To, to, yeah, and... Um, Anyway, so I pull that off and I take it over to him because there's a little bit of wear on one side of it and I'm like, is this the issue? And so he spends time and measuring it all out and looking at it and going, well, you know, it looks pretty fine to me. I'm like, oh, well, that's sad. I was hoping that would be a problem. It's like, you could get it reconditioned, but I wouldn't. It would cost you $400 to recondition it, but I, I don't recommend that. And um, so this guy takes time out. I know friends who have called him up when they've needed assistance with it, talk to anybody in the city. This is probably the person they'd recommend for gearboxes um, in there. Um, I got, remember when I got my car and got my got a service done, they quoted me there to service the gearbox. They quoted me about $700 to service it. Took it to him. It was less than half that price. And uh, he just does a good job. He takes time out and talks to you and encourages you for it and, and helps you out and has the knowledge and whichever gearbox you talk to him about he seems to know what he's on about that's someone who i will go back to because i am going back to them and anyone that asks me about where should i go for my gearbox that's where i'll send them 
total different experience with him than what I had with, with the bus cluster. And this is someone I'd say, oh, I'm not going to cast all my anxiety on him, but I'm going to cast my gearbox on top of him because he knows gearboxes and he, he, he takes an interest in his customers. And so Peter here, he's written this statement, cast all your anxiety on him. Oh, by the way, him means Jesus. Okay, we've just, just got to settle. Most of the time in the Bible when it talks about him, it's talking about Jesus or God. Um, and, and in this instance, it definitely is. And so there's some, I wonder what happened in Peter's life where he could really make this statement, where he could really rely on this statement. And what went on there and how that can apply to us a little bit. See, there was a time in, Jesus had been going around doing his ministry, had been baptized by his cousin and um, continued on doing his ministry. Then, as we know, like John got put in jail. Not John the disciple John, but John, Jesus' cousin John, who was the Baptist who baptized people and used to wear hair clothes and eat locusts and honey and live out in the wilderness. And random fella. I'm sure he just looked like Bear Grylls type guy. Uh, Bear Grylls, like we think, oh, he's a Grylls. But no, he, John the Baptist did Bear the Grylls much better back in the day. Anyway, so he's in prison. And, and so he gets to a time where he's executed. He gets his head cut off one day. Literally gets his head cut off and um, served on a silver platter. And weird things happen in the Bible. And so you can understand then that this news comes to Jesus and comes to the disciples. Now you can understand your cousin gets beheaded. You're going to be having a bad day. You're not going to be in a good way. You're going to be pretty upset about that. So Jesus, as the rest of us would do, he's in the middle of ministry, gets this news and goes, okay, guys, that's it, we're going to pack up for a while and we're just going to go and, and retreat so we can mourn and, and actually deal with this news. And so they hop in a boat and go across the lake and then everybody else finds out where they're going. And as soon as they land, there's a big crowd there. And this is a story that's talked about often when we talk about it. And so they land there and a whole bunch of people are there. Jesus is just absolutely worn out, looks up and sees 5,000 people and they start coming and, and he heals them and just sees the need, and the Bible says this is one of those places where it just said he had compassion. He was just full of love at that time, and all those that were sick came to him, and he healed them, and he, he preached, and gets to evening, and we know that he turns to his disciples, okay, get them something to eat, but mate, if we line up at KFC, they're going to take like 10 hours to cook enough chicken for this, or... Domino's will run out of dough before we get enough pizzas for these guys. It's just not going to happen. And so he goes off and gets fish and, fish and bread for them and splits it all up and, and does the whole, whole thing there of feeding all these people. And then after that, he dismisses them all. Okay, time to go home, everyone. And, and his disciples hop in a boat, go across the lake, and he comes across later. And then we get to another great story, which I love talking about on the, when he gets to the other side of the lake. And he's there, and then everyone's run around the lake to meet them on the other side because they heard he was going, and they bring out more people and get healed. And this is, the, this is the part of the story which always gives me great courage as a preacher and a church leader because he's just preached to a crowd of probably about 15,000. Most of them have come around the other side. We know there's probably at least 5,000 people on the other side of the lake there that he's preaching to. Over the course of that message... He gets to the end of the message. There's a couple of statements he makes during the whole message, including, hey, if you want to be part of me, if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, you actually got to drink my blood. 
and eat my flesh. Now you say that to a Jew. Drinking blood is not cool. They don't eat pigs. There's no bacon and egg muffins for the Jews. And, and so eating person, they're just like freaked out at this. And so during that message, the entire church gets up and leaves. And he gets there at the end and, and turns to his leadership team and the 12 of them are standing there and he turns, are you guys going to go as well? You may as well rack off too. And they say, well, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. And great thing that happens there. And so you've got these two awesome encounters that happen on each side of the lake. Totally different. One where Jesus just encourages and sort of brings the people in. And then the other side where he almost just sends them back out again. away. But in the middle there, we have a story that often we talk about with kids. And, and don't think too much else about the other place other than we, we, we like talking about it. So... The disciples have gone in their boat and hopped in the boat going across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has finally gone, I can now go cry for my cousin. And so he goes up a hill and he sits there and prays. Now, the, the Sea of Galilee is 13 kilometers across and 21 kilometers long. Now, their boats weren't that good back then. They were, they were pretty good. Like, they were about... Eight foot wide, 21, so what are we talking about? 2.4 meters wide, 8 meters long was the boat that the disciples were in there. And that would have been a sailboat. Now, getting across 13 kilometers, Pete and I um, have gone for a row before. And we didn't have a sail. We went for a row and we would have, um, we rowed for about eight hours. And during that time, we would have gone about 30 k's um, in rowing up and down a river at that point. Eight hours. So going across a lake, we could probably row across the lake in a couple of hours, probably three hours there. So they've gone across probably near sunset. They're headed across this lake. And these are experienced fishermen. They know what they're doing in a boat. And it gets to midnight, and they're still in the middle of the lake. And they're sitting there going, it would have been better if we walked around because this storm's just come up, this massive cyclone just sort of hit in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, huge waves, they're freaking out, going, what? You know, the fishermen are freaking out that they're going to get tipped over. You know, it's a pretty bad deal going on. And so the whole night goes through, and then it says, just before dawn, they look up, and they're in the midst of this storm, just absolutely freaked out. And then they look up, and they see Jesus. Or it actually says they see a ghost walking across a lake. And they freak out a bit more and then they call out and, and Jesus underst- must understand at this point that they're freaking out. And so he goes, it's okay guys, it's me. And so Peter being Peter looks up and goes, okay, if that's you, Jesus, call me to you. Come. And so Peter hops out of the boat and walks across the water. And then the rest of the story happens, and um, there you go, come, he said. And then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to seek and cried, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And then they climbed into the boat, and the wind died out, and they pretty much ended up on the other side. Now, Peter sees this thing, and he understands something totally about God at this point really get something about God that, um, that sometimes we miss. See, understands when there's an issue going on in our life or when we really need help the most or at any other time, 
God calls us to Him. He understood something very fundamental about the character of God. God calls us to Him. If that is you, Lord, if that is really you, call me to you. Because he understood that's who God is. See, how many of us, when we, when we have something going on in our life and have something going wrong, go, or even when we get up in the morning, we might get up in the morning, get out of the bed and go, Lord, come bless me in what I'm doing today. Lord, be with me in what I'm up to today. Father, as I do this, I just ask you to be with me in it. When I go, oh, Lord, I really need your help in, in this right now, as I set to do this. I've prayed like that a lot of times. And yet Peter understood something fundamental about the character of God. He's in a boat in the middle of a lake, feeling like the thing's going to get tipped over, feeling like there's going to be an... Now, you've got to understand as well that 10 chapters earlier, he's been in a boat with Jesus as well, in the middle of the lake, in the middle of a storm, where Jesus decided this is the best sleep I've ever had and just stays asleep. And then the disciples come up and go, Jesus, we're going to sink. There's water coming in and you're sleeping. And he's like, come on, guys, get over it. Wind, stop. Gets up and, and just speaks to the wind. Everything calms down and he's in a boat. So Peter's had this experience and seen Jesus do this. And surely that would make him sit there and go, Jesus, that's you. Hurry up, get in the boat and speak to these winds and waves. Tell this storm to stop. You need to do what you did 10 chapters ago. Fix everything up, okay? Get, get that sorted. And yet that wasn't the character of God that he identified. If that's you, Lord, I know you're going to do something. If that's really you, you're going to call me to him. And so out of in the midst of this storm, if you thought the boat wasn't safe, now he wants to go walking on... We, we think... I don't know, have you ever seen like people that have done art and pictures of Jesus walking on water? And it's just like this calm lake and Jesus sort of walking across. The artist's impression is wrong. The waves would have been like, I don't know how high, like at least two, three meters high at this time, pelting rain down, huge gusts of wind going on. That's going on. So Jesus is like up and down over these waves, like surfing the things. And that's probably how he got across so quick. He probably just caught a wave from the edge right to where the boat was. And then that's what Peter decides that it's going to be much better hopping out of this boat into what Jesus is walking in at that time. He calls us to him. And so it's out of this place that Peter writes this verse when he's writing his letter. It's out of this experience that he writes, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for us. Why can he write that? Because in this time when he thought his life was over, he was able to throw everything on him because he knew he cared. Now, why does Peter write that? Because in there, you've got this other little thing that goes on. That he's saying, in the... Verses around that, he says, this is so important to do because the devil's trying to eat you. Literally, those words. The devil is trying to consume you. 
The devil's trying to eat you. And this, this is the key verse in there that stops us from walking into pride and, walking into, and lets us walk in humility. See, when he speaks of anxiety there, it's not just the fact that he's got an exam the next day or the fact that he's trying to sell his house and he wants to get the right price for it or he's blown up his engine in his car. It's not the fact that he, he doesn't know what he's going to eat tonight or if he's going to get Hungry Jacks or KFC. Uh, it's not that he's trying to choose the right movie to watch or, or even that he needs a new job going on. When Peter's talking, cast all your anxiety on Christ, what's happening at that time is Nero is the emperor of Rome. And they love sport. It's Olympic time in Rome. Just continuous, not, not just like 16 days of it, it's just continuous sport going on in Rome. And they just have the Colosseum going, and, and the sport of the day is, is um, Christian versus the lion. And so any Christian that they capture, they think, this is the great sport, we're going to chuck a Christian in there, and we're going to get a lion and chuck the lion in there, and we're just going to see who wins. And so this is the sport that's going on and on and on and on. And Peter says at that time, it's okay, it's okay, cast all your anxiety Onto God, because in his appointed time, when it's his time, he's going to lift you up and save you. He cares for you. It might not happen today. It might not happen tomorrow. He doesn't give the promise that, give all your anxiety today, and it's going to be sorted out. He says, cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you, and in his time, he'll lift you up. Because the devil's trying to eat you. See, I think he uses the words the devil's trying to consume you in there because Christians are literally being eaten. We think we have a tough time as Christians. We think we cop it from people. Oh, yeah, you're one of those churchies. You're one of those Bible people. My son got called that he goes to the Bible mob. Hanging out with a party the other week and one of the other mums there. Oh, which one's your son? Josiah. Ah, oh, he's from that Bible mob. Like, go, son. That is so cool. I'm glad that your friends identify that there's something of a kingdom of God inside you and, and going on there. So Peter's at risk of death. And he knows at this time that it really doesn't matter because Jesus has saved him from it before. So what does this actually look like for us? What, what does this actually go on for us? See, because... Coming from there where he's come from. See, when he goes down, that word cast, that word cast literally means to throw, launch. Um, picture, a few of you guys have been camping with me before, a few of you guys have been like to swimming holes with me. So you understand that when you get to the top of a, like a five-meter ledge above water, there's only one thing that you can do then, and that's literally throw yourself off there. And that's, that's literally what this is talking about. It, it's cast off. It's, it's throw off. It, it's not just cast. It is launch, throw, project, use a bazooka with those anxieties, get like the heat seeker, Jesus seeker, bazooka going on and throw them right at him with that. And so what's that actually look like? Like Peter said, the first thing that he did when he was in that boat, if that's you, Jesus, call me to you. 
the first part of this is always, Lord, what are you doing in the midst of this? So often we pray, Lord, come be with me today. The much better prayer is the prayer that um, Lonnie Frisbee used to always pray, and that is, Holy Spirit, come. What are you up to, God? What are you doing in the midst of this? Where are you right now? Is that you walking to me? Is that in the midst of this storm, in the midst of my trouble, is that you? I can see just over there that's looking pretty scary. If that's you, let me come to you. Where are you and what's your direction in this? It's the first thing we do. And then the second thing we do is the same thing Jesus and Peter did when they first called him. Like, I'm going to jump out of the boat. I'm just going to be about what you're doing. What's God's business in this? See, the other thing that's going on here that Peter's talking about in this situation is people are coming to your house. Are you a Christian? Yeah, cool. I'm going to take you and put you in the, in the Colosseum with a lion. Now, I have three young kids at home. Someone comes to my house and wants to throw my kids in with lions the first thing I want to do is go find the sharpest knife I can find in my kitchen. And if that doesn't work, I know I've got a shovel sitting in my garage at the moment, and that's going to cause some damage. And then whatever, I've got these huge pans that are just hanging up above my sink. We're just going to go. One day, um, my aircon just after I got it, um, packed it in, and um, the aircon guy came to fix my aircon. The only thing was that he came when I was sharpening my knives, and so he's out there looking, pull my aircon unit apart out there, and I'm just sitting there with my knife, sharpening my, my big kitchen knives like this. He's like, dude, I want to get your aircon fixed for you. And I'm like, oh, sorry. No point there. But Peter's actually saying, don't do anything about it. And he actually goes on in the verses around there where he, where he says that, be alert. So mind, your enemy the devil prowls around roaring like a lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in good time. She's actually saying, I'm going to be the one that delivers you here. We're the one that tries to solve our issues. We're the one that tries to solve our problem. We need to be in motion, but we need to we give it off to him. He's actually saying, don't worry about pulling the knives out and the don't worry about pulling the spade out and whacking people over the head and that. I've got it. And why does Peter know this? Because when he's falling in the water, he looks up at Jesus and says, Save me. That word he uses there is sodzo. Sodzo which is the word saved, delivered, whole, healed, prosperous, spoken well of. When Jesus talks about us being saved, that's the word he's using. Now that word there as well, when we are saved, it is not just a condition, it is not a noun. We are not saved now, it is a verb. When Jesus uses the word saved in the Bible, it's a present tense verb. Sorry for the English lesson. We want to say past, present, future tense, don't we? Past, what happens yesterday, present, now, future, tomorrow. Verb, doing word. I run, doing word. So sozo is a present tense verb. We are being saved now. 
So when Peter looks up at him, save me now. Right now, I need some sort of action to come into my life to save me because I'm going to drown because I don't swim well. The fisherman, he doesn't swim well. Big waves, lots of wind. He's starting to sink. Jesus reaches out his hand and lifts him up. This is the reason we know that he cares. And so whatever's going on in our world, this is the whole thing. Health, soul, spirit. And I just really felt tonight just to, I guess, touch base on just that simple fact that when we're in trouble, when there's a storm going on in our life, we just throw it at him. And not just say that, okay, Lord, take care of this. And then walk away. Now, how do we act when that storm's going on? How do we go on about it when that storm's going on? What's it look like to throw at him? It's not like it's a little cast-off thing. No, we've got to actually be looking at him and, and spending time in that, doing what we did before, worshiping. Doing what we did before, spending time in his presence, getting others around us. Hey, I've got this thing going on right now. Come pray. I need you to come pray with me. I'm looking forward soon. We've got... Um, one thing I want to do more of is actually go, go into people's houses and just bring teams of people and just pray. When there's things going on there, we're going to be doing that soon. And then one of the guys just up the road, um, he's taking a team in and just praying through. And, just, and what's that? He's throwing his cares. He's launching the things that are giving him anxiety straight on to God. So when worship team come and let's do a bit of that. I don't know what you walked in with tonight. I, I, I don't. I didn't get your mail. I don't know if there's something going on in your heart or your soul or your spirit and your body or, or what. Maybe it's something just as we worship, you can just sit there and just throw it on him. Just launch it on him. Maybe you need someone just to stand with you and believe with you for that as well. And I, I'd, I'd love to do that. And. You make your way to the front or just grab someone. They just can Louis stand with me in this as we just launch this on God. And just ask where he is, what he's doing, what's he what's he up to in the midst of that? Or maybe there's some other cares, other other things that you just want to stand in the gap for. But let's just spend some time in worship, but just really either stand in the gap for someone or for yourself or um, just really casting those things onto the heart of God as we do that.